politics. Someday we'll we'll get it. <laughs> like, Maybe we should just pre-record an intro and keep it. It's true. Uh, and today we're going to talk about a piece I recently wrote, The Role of Culture in Innovation at humanprogress.org. But first, some announcements, personal announcements. <laughs> All right. Well, first, um, if you are on our exclusive email list, which you can sign up for at any time if you are not, uh, we will send around <laughs> another show for you to listen to us talk. We were on local radio, which also is... Um, produced into a podcast called Good News for the City, a wonderful segment where we were talking about suffering and kind of our personal medical story and all of that. So if you have not heard that story, um, which you probably have if you're listening to this podcast, but it was <laughs> it was a great interview um, at the Good News for the City podcast. Yeah, that was a lot of fun and real privilege to be invited. It was, yeah, for our first time on local radio. What's the other big announcement? The other big announcement is we're expecting a baby Barkley boy wow. next year, May 2022. First I've learned about it, right? <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but exciting. A week after our soon-to-be three-year-old's birthday, this new boy will join the family. It is exciting. My little baby. I'm ready, <laughs> I think. Yes, we answered a lot of prayers and, um, yeah, just miracles that led to this point. So we're very excited. And Yeah, but with that, I will make this a good segue into our topic at hand. Speaking of babies. <laughs> Speaking of babies, no. Um there are a lot of things about this pregnancy that technology ah, ensures that I yeah. will live. <laughs> um, and just the thought of, um, you know, pre-ultrasounds and mm -hmm. all sorts of medical technology. Women died a lot yes. <laughs> in giving birth. And, you know, a hundred years ago, it was not as sure as it is now that you would come out alive and your baby ago. would come out alive i mean probably 30 years ago you'd be dead from the tumor right 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 and then you had birth yeah for most of human history childbirth has been this very dangerous yeah i mean it's process. still very intense and you know mm -hmm. there are a lot of risks even in this day and age but i can't imagine before life-saving technology mm -hmm. what the f kind of fear around pregnancy, whether you or your baby would make it. Yeah, I think this the, this is one of the issues that really motivates me on this topic. So I wrote this article, The Role of Culture and Innovation. I'm tongue-in-cheek calling it my manifesto. <laughs> uh, I actually written it a number of months ago, and then a bunch of stuff came up, and I was just busy. So I kind of dusted it off, re-readed it, re-readed it. <laughs> <laughs> re-readed it, and re-read it. Had some friends edit it and uh, humanprogress.org. Great website, which tracks actually all these things. Like if you want data on uh, you know, child mortality rates, uh, women's mortality rates in childbirth, like you have all these inspiring, well, sad in a sense, because most of human history was, it was rampant death and illness. But now in the last couple hundred years, uh, you know, more people are living and living better quality of lives. I've, thanks to innovation, thanks mm -hmm. to new technologies. 
And so I wrote this piece to kind of explain my perspective on how we got to this, I think, better, better world. Um, working in Washington, D.C. area, public policy is every day, all day, but culture is a really important factor and driver in innovation. So in public policy, you can have laws that say prohibit or prevent new technologies or from coming to be or regulating existing technologies, you know, Federal Communications Committee, uh, Commission regulating telecommunications, um, the internet largely arising without any kind of government agency oversight. Um, and, you know, look which is the more vibrant today. Um, so any, but, you know, this says the policy framework, but the culture framework is a lot squishier. It's broader. It was a real challenge to write something uh, in <laughs> under 10,000 words. <laughs> But uh, I think it gets back to this prime motivation, though, that the quality of human life is vastly, drastically improved. And just, I'm, I think I'm a weirdo and just like waking up every day just thinking about that like historical context. Mm. And I've, I've heard a couple different instances lately. Um, an NPR, All Songs Considered co-host is talking. I think was, the quote was something like, it's really hard to be a human being these, like today. And then uh, a Christian podcast, or quoting this the tech technology technology and society philosopher Jacques Ellul, um, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something about like technology being in conflict with humanity. Hmm. And I think technology is part of what makes us more human. I don't think there's this hmm. like you add more tech and you lose humanity. And I think there's a lot of like serious thinkers and smart mm -hmm. people who do believe that. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. And then just, you know, go back to that NPR quote, too, like most was talking with friends today of how many people are living without running water, access mm -hmm. to clean water today still. But like go back and talk to your ancestors, you know, 800 years ago, wherever they were. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not this like pastoral <laughs> scene of, you know, people living pleasant, quiet lives, con contemplating uh whittling animal figures out of <laughs> yeah 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 and it's just this rose-colored glasses and i don't want to like over you know um i don't make it sound like it was all just misery and suffering i don't think that's that extreme is correct either but i think there is a dose of realism like you know just half of children dying before the age of four for most of human history so you have kind of two these Thesis, theses going on. Theses. <laughs> uh, one is that innovation does make humanity better, humans' lives better. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, it takes a culture that embraces that as truth. Thesis number one is True. truth yeah, yeah. in order for innovation to continue. So you've got two pieces there. So, um, the people who would reject thesis number one outright would say, <laughs> no, you know, we lose a lot by, even if it does make things, quote, easier, right, to mm -hmm. just be able to shoot off a text message to your mom instead of sitting down to write a letter, taking it to the post office in the center of town, et cetera, et cetera. But you're losing the meaningfulness of that letter, right? The text message that you send to her is not as meaningful as this letter that you have to put all this time into and wait mm, for a response mm -hmm. and all of that. What would you say to that argument? Oh man, it's one of my favorites <laughs> because it's, I think there's a lot of subjectivity going on, like personal taste in other words, in these 
assessments. Um, and a lot of it is, has to do with where you are in the timeline of history too. I think a big factor for me and like where I've arrived, why I've arrived, where I've arrived is just looking at the history of uh, tech panics throughout history. So people reacting to any, any sort of new technology, there are people saying this is going to ruin society. It's going to you know, take away our humanity, uh, cause mental illness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, things that we just take for granted today, uh, even, even that we lift up and laud in like your example as, you know, say letter writing, for instance, uh, you know, popularization of paper, of, you know, literacy, um, enabled by technology and innovation. Like this was not just something where we're like, oh yeah, this is great. Let's do it like full, full blast. Like there were, there was pushback against the printing press. There's been pushback against teddy bears, cars, elevators, mirrors, um, build for tomorrow is a great podcast I recommended before going through a lot of these histories. I think every time it just showed the worst consequences don't come to be mm. from a lot of these mm. thinkers. And it's just like, okay, so what makes letter writing better than like, if you really want to like contemplate your words, like I'd recommend carving it into stone. <laughs> like, cause that's what it frustrates me about with like the, the at what level? Of yeah. <laughs> like where does it stop? Like what makes like, okay, you like what makes letter writing, uh, the best medium or form. And I, but at the same time, I do think, you know, going back to subjective personal taste, I recently learned that the very successful, popular science fiction writer, Neil Stevenson, uh, handwrites all his novels because he, he was telling the story of like, you know, he was trying, he just had massive writer's block, uh, doing using a word processor on a computer. And so he busted out his fountain pen and he says he buys paper from Italy now. <laughs> And that's how he does his novels. And wow. he just says that was how he overcame his writer's block. And it's just kind of stuck ever since. And mm. it's just really interesting coming from this guy who's very, like, you know, future conscientious. But it works for him. So, like, at the same time, I don't want to say, like, if if you want to write a letter, that's great. But this kind of notion that it's a, a normative, you know, moral good that everyone should write letters and that is the best way, period, I think is you know, applying your own personal taste to something that is uh, changing rapidly and other people may, things may work different for them. It's great to have the option not to use wide out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you know, you and I talk about not everyone can write letters and capability, mm -hmm. like dictation technology has been a huge thing for people with disabilities mm -hmm. and not everyone has fully functioning hands. And <laughs> Being me, if I had to handwrite yeah. everything, um, yeah, I would take me half a day to you know, write a letter. Yeah. Um, I, one other thing in letter writing in particular, I, you know, just the history there is even in American history, like I think the average person in the mid 1800s sent like two letters a year. Wow. Like it wasn't this, you know, we're not, we're not like, um, you know, sitting Emily around Dickinson writing yeah, yeah. tomes to friends and family. Yeah. Odes. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. That's a, not what one would think. Well, and that kind of gets to my point of, um, rejecting technology is to commandeer a woke term privileged. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I tweeted about this this week that oh, yes. uh, one of my big changes in the last decade and one of my beliefs is I think that I had kind of a, I called it the Wendell Berry style <laughs> yeah. thinking, which, you know, frankly, I think a lot of uh evangelical intellectuals have mm -hmm. oh, um yeah. oh yeah it's very it's like a, a very popular way mm -hmm. of thinking i think and thinking i think um <laughs> and so if you don't know who wendell berry is it's this kind of pastoral agrarian kentuckian 
yeah, he's an author, and um, you know, he says the pencil is better than the computer. He has a famous essay on like why I'm not buying a computer. Exactly, um, and kind of this idea that agrarian slow living. He writes a lot about our agricultural sector that. You know, these big factory farms um, are very harmful and that, you know, locally grown Mm -hmm. um, is better. And that kind of that whole ethos on that. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so I think I used to lean that way. You know, I grew up Hmm. on a mini farm and um, appreciated what nature brings to us and um, all of that. But as especially in the last two and a half years, becoming a mother Mm. and becoming disabled, Mm. I realized what privileged thinking that is. Just um, my life these past two and a half years has been a lot more survival than it has been being able to sit around and pontificate maybe as much as I used to. Um, And walk fields like you couldn't walk a field. I can't walk a field. Right. Exactly. That would literally you know take everything out of me for a day yeah um and so and and things like um you know being able to get groceries delivered from amazon prime and i have a bunch of tools that i use in the kitchen you know i don't hand grind my coffee because well (laughs) i'd be in a lot of pain and i'd use up all my energy that i have in my non-working hand if i had to do that so i have tons of mechanical tools that i use in the kitchen um that are technology right Mm -hmm. that make uh make it possible for me to do day-to-day living and um the same with you know yeah the much derided social media has made it possible that you know it's harder for me to go out now harder for anybody with a young child to go out and so to be Mm -hmm. able to be connected to community you know i've talked about before um if we lived in the good old days, I would not have known one other wheelchair mother, wow. right? It wow. would have just, I would have thought like, oh, I'm literally the only one, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, I wouldn't have known anybody my age with a child in a wheelchair. But because of social media, I know 20 plus moms in wow. wheelchairs <laughs> that yep. I know I've never met in person, yep. um, don't live in my neighborhood, in my city even, um, but I ask questions. How do you do this with your child? You know, what mm-hmm. was pregnancy like for you, et cetera, et cetera, um, that have been vital to me in that community. Um, so it um, it's it's not as popular to talk about the plus sides. Yeah, it really isn't. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at with, you know, all these things we've talked about, you know, kind of maybe putting a bow on this, I think are aspects of culture. Uh, cultural yeah, let's discussions. Get the thesis too. Yeah, so like you know, having a culture open innovation. I think what you just said at the end. It's we're in this moment where I think Virginia Postrel and I think even John Stuart Mill, writing the 1800s, had uh, Postrel in the late early 90s um, had similar quotes about you know you get points for basically critiquing what Postrel called dynamism, hmm. you know, or innovation. And I think there is this kind of currency based on just preponderance and media and like movies. You know, we talk about Terminator and not C-3PO. That's Mm. one of my favorite, um, you know, people bring up AI. Oh, what about Terminator? But like C-3PO is AI too, Mm. R2-D2. Like these characters we love and are very helpful. Um, And then, you know, nonfiction, my favorite air quotes, scare quotes, social dilemma, like this dominant narrative that to think critically and seriously about technology and innovation, you have to have this 
pessimistic mm. kind of like, Ooh, are he, we're losing our humanity. Scenario. Yeah. And so I, like I talk about in the piece, you know, just one example of the importance of having a culture open innovation that's positive and optimistic and willing to experiment and even fail. Um, there's some, you know, the printing press was not invented in Europe. It was actually invented in China, but at the time, the Chinese culture was much less open to innovation. Entrepreneur was not upheld as a, a role to be admired. It was much better to become a, uh, a bureaucrat in the state. And so like all these you know, Chinese innovations just kind of like stayed where they were. Mm. Whereas in Europe, you had this culture of, oh, like I see Gutenberg and this thing, I'm going to do a better one. And like that's admired and this exchange of ideas. And it really took off there and changed the world. And you know, more mundane example in the religious context is coffee and, mm. you know, originating in the Arabian Peninsula. And um, one of the popes, I forget who, but I read about in the piece, you know, essentially people were asking, like, can Christians drink coffee? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, this is fine. And like there is a there was a clear like bifurcation of, a, you know, culturally informed decision that uh, had an impact on an innovative process. Um, so I think that there are kind of forks in the road Maybe not always so clear, but, you know, 10 a trillion tiny decisions that we all make that contributed to this notion of culture and furthering of innovation. And I, I think it's really important to kind of check attitudes, look at facts and not default to a knee jerk negative hmm. reaction. You know, um, you know, Adam Thier, a former colleague of mine, uh, you know, basically taught me a lot about this way of thinking his quote in the policy context. But if we if we base public policy decisions or cultural decisions, I think we'd put in there, if we base cultural decisions based on hypothetical worst case scenarios and best mm. case scenarios can never come about. Hmm. I think it's a helpful approach. It's great. Do you think, so I think we, it, it feels at least like we're at this, one of those forks in the road. I mean, mm-hmm. hard to tell until hindsight, but do you think it's, you know, you talk about, uh, during the printing press, the entrepreneur, you know, and the innovation was kind mm-hmm. of venerated and whatnot. Do you think that it's because, you know, who we see as the innovators, big tech, aren't people that we laud? You know, no one's going around being anymore like <laughs> Elon right. Musk and Jeff Bezos and their their origin stories aren't endearing. Uh, they don't... The, you don't look at them and say, oh, we're so endeared. They're great American spirit or something like Is Do you think it has to do right. with who the figureheads of innovation are right now? Yeah, that's probably the case. And it, it's funny because, you know, that's very time dependent. You know, in 2012, I remember when we all wanted to be Facebook. You know, Mark <laughs> right. Zuckerberg was this visionary. Out of the dorm room. And it was, you know, 2016, the banning of, you know, what's commonly referred to as TechLash. Um, and, you know, if we talk about technology and usually in culture technology, like social media kind of slips in there as like the thing but yeah big tech you know i think so my my pushback to that would be well i would agree that the like the commonly held narrative and stories of these figures and they're not all perfect like they make mistakes (laughs) big tech has absolutely made mistakes bad decisions um a lot of these figures though i think there's like the common tropey narrative but then there's like their actual lives like look at Jeff Bezos and like his family, where he came from, like how hard he worked, the decisions he made. Like there's an actual talented human being. Mm. Yes, you know, I'm sure some cutthroat decisions, things you wouldn't do or disagree with. Um, but National Enquirer didn't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I think it's worth, you know, digging in a little more. I think there are other figures, too, just, you know, throughout history worth looking at. Uh, you know, the Wright brothers and their story, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, you know, even, even Thomas Edison, who we kind of, like, hold up now, he wasn't, like, the nicest <laughs> guy either. Like, right. he electrocuted an elephant to death to right. demonstrate the dangers of the competitive current technology mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so no one's, I guess, an angel, um, but I think most creators, innovators narratives are probably better than the the tropey mm-hmm. um kind of synopsis that we get that's true and i mean we are also in this cultural moment of even if they did have this great story everybody loves to hate billionaires no matter yes, what right? right and so and right um right. there is this idea of just like we don't like rich people yeah like i, I saw someone uh, critiquing and i've seen multiple critique of like came out the ceo and maybe the, he's the founder of uh, spotify like worth three billion dollars and like oh like look at him like you know on the backs of musicians and yeah you know this is getting in some contentious issue like how much do musicians get paid based on their streams but at the same time like he helped create a service that you know kneecapped piracy mm. online like just non <laughs> people weren't paying any money for just <laughs> stealing music right and he created a convenient service that at least allowed creators to get something instead of nothing. And I think even for people like much mm-hmm. couldn't make a major record label, I think allowing them to have access on a legitimate platform a legitimate, and monet- yeah. monetize their content. Um, mm-hmm. I think all these, you know, we talk, <laughs> you and I, about Jeff Bezos and the value he's created in our family, saving yeah. time. And <laughs> I'm a big Amazon fan. Yep. Who knows? Maybe Hudson will go into space with him one day. Could uh, be. <laughs> anyway. But not with you. <laughs> not with me. I'm never going to space. Never going to Mark space. Mark my words. It's a bummer. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a teaser for Taylor's piece. You should go read it at Human Progress. We'll link to it. It's very good. Thank you. Stinkers, stinkers and thinkers. And thinkers. Stinkers or thinkers. Taylor, what was your stinker this week? My stinker was that movie Red Notice. Boo. <laughs> Why do you hate it so much? I mean, I will admit, I did read one review that was like blisteringly negative. Oh, <laughs> you've been swayed by the elites. Swayed by the elites. It was on TheVerge.com. I don't know if that's oh, elite. Brother. Yes. <laughs> but even that the dialogue was cringy. There were, there were like at least three moments in the film where it was like, all right, now they're going to make a joke about how cheesy those lines are. And it's like, oh, nope, that was it. What? No, they were definitely self-aware. No. Yes. No. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. We disagree on this. Well, it <laughs> is my... self-aware? It is my thinker. That's your I thinker? enjoyed it because it was kind of like Indiana Jones-like to me. Like, Indiana Jones is like that. The dialogue is kind of like super corny and you know, like zany plot lines and whatnot. Um, But they don't like, here, we're making a joke. You know, it's like everybody knows. Everyone's in on it. Um, So I thought, I I feel like there hasn't been like an Indiana Jones style movie in a while, which I just love the Indiana Jones. Indiana Joneses are good. I I love them all. And so I I liked a, a modern new version of it. Even it, if it was Courtney. It seemed like a paint by numbers Indiana Jones. Like, all right, now we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this thing. And then we're going to say this line. And it's like, do, do, do. Like, blue goes in number two. Mm, disagree. <laughs> Whereas Indiana Jones is more of a Van Gogh. 
I mean, it was the you can't beat Harrison Ford, but I thought Ryan Reynolds was funny. <laughs> you came in with a negative attitude. I came in with a bad attitude. <laughs> he did, <laughs> and I was correct. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That's <laughs> what my stinker. Oh, sure. What's your stinker? <laughs> Have um, you been here the whole time? <laughs> my stinker <laughs> was the uh, movie that I watched last night. So I actually really enjoy all the corny like Netflix Christmas movies. They're kind of like Hallmark Christmas movies. It is rom-coms. like lurching in that direction. Yeah, they're definitely in that mold. Um, but I enjoy them for what they are. However, the one last night was exceptionally bad. Which one? <laughs> um it was called A Castle for Christmas. Oh, I did see part of that. With Brooke Shields and I don't even know the name of the actor who was in The Princess Bride, that guy. Um, they're both older uh, now. That's who that was. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it was just bad. I'm, I'm not even going to get into so it. That's why his Scottish accent was atrocious. Yeah, it was, it was not good. It was taking place in a Scottish castle and they hated each other. Then they loved each other and... Yeah, it wasn't good. Don't watch it, even if you like that genre. <laughs> hmm. What was your thinker? My thinker is the video game Forza Horizon 5. It's a car game. You like car games. I like, yeah, I like some racing games. It's very beautiful, uh, set in Mexico, excellent scenery. Hmm. I thought the opening was great. Very like, you're like, dropped out of a plane in your car wow and just, just driving down a volcano and it's just very pretty to look at it's fun it doesn't take itself too seriously and it's just been a good uh hmm. after work <laughs> mind turn off thing nice yeah we need that we do forza horizon five <laughs> my thinker well thanks for letting me talk about my it was great. Everyone go read it. My uh, hobby, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's also for work, I should You're say. Like, I also do this in my day That's job. True. But I'm privileged to get to do this sort of thing in my day job. That's true. But you think about it a lot. I do. Thanks for listening to me, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel had a very nice tweet thread as well. That actually had more reactions to it than my own tweet. But uh, it was very kind. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a good week on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, friends, for listening. And uh, tune in next time.